You are listening to the Habitology Podcast with Melanie White, and today's episode is about stretch goals. I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine that you could achieve a huge goal, something bigger than you ever thought that you were capable of. How much self-belief would you have if you could do that? What else would be possible as a result of you having that self-belief? And how sweet would it be to overcome your fears and your overwhelm, your insecurities, so that you could bask in the glow of that achievement? It would be amazing. I can tell you right now that many more doors would open for you and the world would have many more possibilities because you'd taken a leap of faith and you'd grown as a person along the way. Would it be an easy process to get there? Probably not. In fact, it would be more like a baptism of fire, a situation where you must immediately cope with difficulties and obstacles. But you would be a stronger and better person for it, more confident, more accomplished, and ready to tackle the next thing. Welcome to Stretch Goals, the topic of today's episode, and this is guaranteed to supercharge your business and your life. Let's start with a definition. What exactly is a stretch goal? Well, according to the Harvard Business Review, a stretch goal is a blend of extreme difficulty and extreme novelty. Now, let's talk about what those two things mean. Extreme difficulty means going beyond your current capacity and performance. So for you, this could mean going all out to lose 15 kilos Or it could be that you're going to hold a big marketing event to attract 100 people to your business. Or it could be just saving an extra $300 this month, something that you don't think is that easy, that feels difficult for you, on your terms, in your own way of defining that. And the second part is extreme novelty. And this is about being creative. It's about working differently and following new paths or approaches that you might not have considered or tried before, probably because you didn't have to in that comfort zone of yours. So for you, this could mean trying a totally new exercising approach or making a complete change in your business model or taking the risk of putting yourself out there with something that you've never done before, like videos on social media or hosting a live event where you are expecting more than 50 or 100 people. So why would you set a stretch goal? It sounds difficult. It sounds hard. It sounds a bit crazy and a bit scary. It sounds like a risk. Yes, 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 and yes. (laughs) It is definitely all of those things. But the results that you get from a stretch goal are totally worth it. You're going to get more courage You're going to have a renewed sense of determination. You're going to be more agile. You'll be better able to manage risks. You'll be better at persevering and you'll have so much more self-belief. So in summary, a stretch goal is a really, really hard goal that pushes you outside of your comfort zone so that you can truly discover what you're capable of. All of the top performers in the world know that failure is a part of success and so more than anything, stretch goals teach us about that. They're an exercise in developing self-belief, acceptance and persistence by failing along the way but by achieving bigger things than you ever thought were possible. Now I'd like to give you my own crazy example of a stretch goal. Do not try this at home. 
1997, my then boyfriend, an avid motorbike rider, suggested that we should do a trip across Australia together from Perth in Western Australia to Cairns, Queensland, through the middle of the country on dirt and sealed and unsealed desert highways. That's 10,000 kilometres, let me just say. It seemed like a great idea, but I'd never ridden a motorbike before in my life. He grew up on motorbikes and I had no idea. So for me, this was going to be a monumental stretch goal that would inevitably shape my beliefs, my attitudes and the course of my life going forward. And I'll talk more about that after I tell you this story. At that time, it was a bit of a big ask. I'd always been quite a timid person and lacking in confidence. So I really had to take stock and think seriously, could I actually do this? Do I have the resources in me to be able to take on such a big, crazy goal? I had to think about the time it was going to take me to learn to ride a bike in the first place and what it would cost to buy a motorbike and the lessons and to get my license and to get all the riding gear that I would need for such a trip. And then there was the whole rest of the trip that we'd need to plan, like where the fuel stops were going to be in the desert and how to modify the motorbikes so that we could carry enough fuel between the fuel stops, how physically strong I'd need to be to ride that 10,000-kilometre trip and to endure the harsh conditions of the Australian desert. We also had to think about safety check-ins, sleeping arrangements, dried food and water given the limited carrying capacity on our two motorbikes. And I figured after a lot of reflection that between us we had what it took to do this trip and to plan it really well. So I said, okay, I'm in, let's do it. And so we developed and rolled out our travel plan over the next 12 months. Actually, that was 1996 we started that planning because we left in June 97. As the trip approached, I was getting a bit nervous and in the weeks leading up to it, people started telling me I was crazy. One of my uni friends, Chad, if you're listening, thanks, you laughed at me and told me it was ridiculous and that I'd never do it. (laughs) And people said, you'll never do that or you'll kill yourself or who do you think you are? And my boyfriend's mother said, how do you think you can physically manage this? You'll never be able to do this. What are you thinking? I didn't dare to tell my parents that I was going because they would have had a heart attack. They would have been horrified. And I think the only supportive people around me, apart from my boyfriend at the time, were my two sisters. And I told them I was going and they both said, not much. They said, just be safe. Wow. (laughs) Thank you, sisters. That really helped me. You two were the only ones that supported me, I think, in that whole thing. I mean, after all, I was 26 years old. I was about to ride my own small off-road motorbike, a Yamaha XT250, across the Australian desert with no off-road experience and only three months of lessons, license and riding time. And I was a director of a company by then, so I had business responsibilities. I needed to take a big stretch of time away from that business. But I forged on. I created a six-week gym training program for myself to build up some strength and some muscle and some endurance for that long haul ahead. And I managed to add two kilos of muscle to my skinny little frame, which was great. I felt strong and physically and mentally ready. Despite all of the naysayers, I felt really good. And then a week before we left, I got the flu. 
I was bedridden. I was so sick. I had this chesty, green, phlegmy cough. I wasn't sleeping. I was hacking up my lungs every night. I was so sick. I had barely any energy and I'd lost all of the gains that I'd made in the gym. So we ended up delaying our departure by a week. But in the end, we'd booked six weeks off work and we had a farewell party and we went anyway. We just left a little bit later than planned and we got on with it. So the first two days were fine. Uh, We left Perth and went to Meriden and it rained solidly around the trip from Meriden to Kalgoorlie to Laverton and we holed up in Laverton for a day and a night to wait for the rain to pass. But we realised it wasn't going to let up so we thought, well, let's hit the dirt highway now and get ahead of that rain front. And that meant for me riding a bike with three months of experience under my belt heading into slippery mud holes, slimy, sliding, muddy roads, rocky hills, deep sand riverbeds, and, of course, coping with any cows, camels, kangaroos, wild horses or other wildlife that might be sprinting across the road. (laughs) It was pretty scary. It was very scary. And there was not a soul in sight for most of that trip. Few people travelled the Great Central Road in Australia, the Plenty Highway, the Sandover Highway, all of those other little laneways that we traveled on and being a middle of winter in Australia it was freezing cold at night and crisp but sunny during the day so it was really great conditions for riding but not so good when you have the flu and a fever and a constantly runny nose in fact we wore balaclavas for that trip under our helmets uh, while we were riding to keep warm because the wind was so icy but my balaclava was stuck to my top lip with snot because I had a runny nose it was pretty rotten and as you can imagine I was really sick and I was terrified and I felt miserable and I wanted to give up every day and I spent those first few days crying sending daggers to the back of my boyfriend's head he was far up ahead of me a lot of the time and I realized that there was no way out and I just had to keep going it was bloody awful and terrifying and I was riding at about 40 kilometers per hour trying to muster up the strength and the energy to hold the bike on the road in the unstable ground, in the dirt, in the sand, amongst the rocks, while my boyfriend rode confidently on ahead and then impatiently waited for me to catch up from time to time. It was miserable. (laughs) And, you know, a lot of my self-talk around that time was really negative. I just kept repeating these negative mantras over and over. This is awful. I feel sick. I hate you. (laughs) And that's all I was saying to myself. It really didn't help. It made me just cement my beliefs that I was doing the wrong thing and that was totally unhelpful. And then on about day six of the trip, something really interesting happened. We were riding through this stretch of desert near Pigal Caves in Western Australia. You can look that up on the map. Pigal Caves, really interesting little spot. And up ahead on the dirt road, I could see this shape and I thought, what is that on the road? It looks like somebody or a cow. What is it? And as we got closer, I realised it was this Italian guy and he was riding a little tiny Vespa and he had a small suitcase and, of all things, a hat box stacked up on the back of his bike, like this tower of stuff strapped on. And he was smoking a cigar, grinning his head off and pottering along on his Vespa at 30 kilometres an hour. Oh, my God, how amazing. I passed this guy and I waved at him, 
And then I felt like queen of the world because finally there was someone going slower than me on a smaller bike and he was enjoying himself. We stopped and had a chat to him in his broken English and he was so happy and he was enjoying himself and he was thankful to see us, but he was so self-contained with his happiness. And you wouldn't believe how good I felt in that moment. It was such a huge lesson. I learned from that guy that I could actually enjoy this journey too. I could make the most of it. I didn't have to be the fastest or the best rider. I could simply ride and be super stoked to be being in that moment doing that huge feat. So that was a real turning point for me. And I started to gain more confidence in my riding. And although I was still going to be sick with the flu for another six weeks, I really was making progress and I felt like I was accomplishing something. I started to feel way better about my skills and competence on the bike. And then after a couple of nights stopover at Ayers Rock and Alice Springs, we hit the dirt road again. So we'd had dirt and then we went back to this bit of sealed road and then back onto the dirt. And that was the baptism of fire. <laughs> it was one of the most rugged tracks in the Northern Territory desert called the Cattlewater Pass. Please go to your map and look up Altunga, A-R-L-T-U-N-G-A, on a map. That's the loneliest pub in Australia. It's in the middle of nowhere and it's the furthest town from the ocean. And there was a guy there who was desperate for company and desperate to tell us the history of that town. And it was from there that we launched off into the Catawater Pass, which my boyfriend had convinced me was a 60-kilometre shortcut. But sorry, Rob, it was not a shortcut. <laughs> it ended up being one of the most hectic, eroded, difficult, windy tracks I could ever have Im imagined. And he did apologise later on, maybe a year later. <laughs> he apologised for taking me down that road. And the upshot of it is that that was a hell track and I nearly ended up falling off my bike and collapsing in exhaustion. I was drenched with sweat and I was feeling so defeated at what was a physically demanding and mentally challenging section of road. And I was in the middle of Australia and all I could do was to keep riding. No one was going to save me. I had no way out except to ride my way out. We ended that stretch at the Urundangi Roadhouse in outback Queensland and all I could see ahead was a dusty road with rocks and big bulldust holes that could easily cause an accident. Now if you're not familiar with the Australian desert and I mean the absolute outback or bulldust holes what they are is they're big gaping holes in the road that can be up to a couple of meters wide and maybe half a meter deep and they're filled with very fine dried silt or dust, bulldust as it's called. So when you look at them ahead on the road, they just look like a normal piece of road. But when you get really close or more specifically, when you ride a motorbike through them at 70 k's an hour, your front wheel is going to plunge in and you're going to go flying over the front because you can't actually see them. They have this fine layer of dust in them, which makes them invisible. And that's obviously not what you want to do in the remote central desert of Australia. <laughs> so understandably, I was pretty terrified about what was ahead and when we got to the Urundangi pub and we went in for a meal, which ended up being a microwave cheeseburger, as I recall, uh, I asked every person at the pub, both of them, <laughs> what the conditions ahead were like. And the first guy I spoke to said, oh, it's a great road. You could drive a regular two-wheel drive car on that and you'd be fine. 
oh, what a relief. I felt so relieved hearing that. And the guy next to him piped up and said, actually, it's the worst road I've ever seen and it's full of bulldust holes and you're at high risk of a serious crash. It's totally not safe for you to drive on that road. Ah. (laughs) And it was at that point that I realised that nobody could tell me what the future held. Nobody could predict what the road ahead was going to be like. Everyone had their own opinion and no one could guarantee me that I would be safe. I just had to get on that road and ride it. I had to make my own decisions about how I was going to tackle it and I had to think about how I was going to talk to myself about that journey. I knew that being miserable wasn't working and actually mostly I prayed on that section of road because I was so scared. But isn't that a metaphor for life? Isn't it the case that we get so frightened about what's ahead and we wonder if we can actually do it and what if we fail And we've got some people telling us it's easy and some people telling us it's hard and you just don't know who to believe. And in the end, you've just got to back yourself. The trip got way easier for me from then on. We made it to Cairns. We stayed a few weeks with my girlfriend. And by the time it came to do the journey home, I was a confident and competent rider. And I was riding at 80 kilometres an hour off-road and I was able to handle all the different sorts of terrain with confidence. I could handle anything that the road through at me and we went a slightly different route on the way home so it was an unfamiliar road but I totally nailed it and 10,000 kilometers of riding will do that and if you heard my last podcast where I talked about 10,000 hours to become an expert I could also say that 10,000 kilometers is a magic number for achievement and getting a level of expertise so let's talk about what stretch goals create I mentioned to you that that trip was a defining moment for me. And at the time, I felt like I was queen of the world. I had such a huge sense of accomplishment and achievement. And I had so much more self-belief as a result of having completed a very difficult trip as an absolute beginner. And what that taught me was that if I persisted, I could get through anything, even when it seemed that there was no way out, even when it seemed like an impossible goal. That trip helped me to develop character strengths and skills that I would not have otherwise had. And in the years following that trip, I have used those skills and strengths and that self-belief to start businesses and be successful, to deal with difficult people, to change careers, to move interstate where I knew nobody and to travel to remote places where there were risks to health and well-being. And I've backed myself the whole way. I've known that I was able to do it. And so why have I been able to do those things? I just knew I could make them work. I had the proof of that trip. And I think without that baptism of fire, I might never have achieved everything that I have so far in my life. I would have been stuck in what I call mediocrity, and that is living the life that doesn't meet your purpose or give you meaning or add value. It's just ticking along on the hamster wheel, being afraid and too afraid to step out of your comfort zone. And I just stepped totally out of that because of that experience. And that, my friends, is what stretch goals can create. For me, that was a stretch goal worth pursuing. Absolutely. So in summary, the whole stretch goal idea, yes, it's a bit hard and a bit crazy and a bit scary. You don't have to ride a motorbike through the desert, but I invite you to think of a stretch goal that would really challenge you. 
think of something that's going to get you out of your comfort zone, something that's pretty big and seems impossible and that you know you could fail at along the way, but that the rewards of completing would be so sweet. Is it worth it? You will have to decide that for yourself. What's the best stretch goal? You will have to decide for yourself. Will you succeed? Will you fail? I can't tell you that. You'll just have to go through the experience and work it out for yourself. But I can tell you this. If you want to grow as a person, if you want to develop more courage, more determination, more persistence, more agility, if you want to get better at strategic thinking and if you want to gain an unlimited supply of self-belief, then I highly recommend setting yourself a fairly terrifying stretch goal. It will change your life. And if you want to study stretch goals with me this month, jump into my monthly membership at www.melaniejwhite.com forward slash habitology. We are working on setting and achieving stretch goals this month with weekly live calls and a workbook that is, describes what they are and guides you to creating your own. That's for April 2020. I hope to see you come and stretch with me in the membership. And otherwise, I look forward to hearing you and seeing you on the next episode. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Bye for now.